Welcome to My Runner's Mind, where we run with gratitude towards a life of happiness and gratefulness. I'm your host, Stina Turgeon, and I believe that as runners, we're uniquely positioned to choose gratitude over negativity. Running itself is so badass, and each run offers multiple opportunities to turn a potentially negative thought or feeling into a positive one. Tune in as I'll share behind the scenes of what goes into my 12-week program, My Runner's Mind, which is mindset and spiritual coaching for women runners who know that they're ready to shift away from the shoulds and ought tos in their running routine and replace them with want and desire to live a happier and more balanced life. Are you ready? Let's go! Hey, everybody. So super excited. I am here today with another interview for you guys. I am joined by Sarah Strong. She goes under the Instagram name, which I really love, The Trail Therapist. How cool is that for a handle? So I started scoping out her account and I love her message. And those of you who follow my podcast know that I'm all about mindset and running and how we can marry the two and Sarah's Sarah's message is super, super strong. What I really appreciate, and in one of her posts, she talks about how you can't have health without mental health. It seems like a no-brainer, but I think runners as a bunch, we tend to forget that. <laughs> we really think about just the physical health component of it. And so I just kind of wanted us to start there, how for my community of women runners, I feel that it's such a valuable stepping stone for our conversations today that we need to also nurture our whole holistic health. And so I'm excited to have you on the show, Sarah, and I'll just turn it over to you super quick. So you can just kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and then we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be on and I just appreciate you reaching out. I'm glad you found me and that the the message resonated. So yeah, I'm here in Colorado in the front range. I am a trail therapist, um, by which I mean, I'm a mental health therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I offer sessions out on the trails. So I really believe in merging movement, um, time outdoors, you know, some other parts of our self-care with therapy. I do also offer sessions virtually because we can't all get out to the trails like we'd like, but I do um, just like really believe in the importance of both mental health and movement. Um, And I just love being able to bring them together. And then I'm also a running coach. I run myself, I do ultra marathons and coach folks running all distances. And so both running and mental health are really big, important parts of my life. That is amazing. I actually did not know that you, it makes sense with the handle trail therapist, but I wasn't aware that you actually brought people on the trail with you. How cool is that? So listen, folks, if you are in her neck of the woods, <laughs> there's your chance. That's amazing, I think. Um, all right. So what we're going to talk about today is um, the fact that running isn't therapy, um, which um, is is such a often used hashtag running is my therapy is what we'll see people use. and. I really appreciate how you're actually saying that, no, these are separate things. They're not the same thing. Um, And for, I think we need to bring awareness to, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily have that mental awareness about it. So that's one of the reasons I really wanted you on the podcast here to kind of share with 
the listeners. You have a great post um, that's actually pinned to your account where you where you kind of show the overlap and then the two separate components of therapy and running. So why don't we start just with that and then we can probably delve, delve deeper as we as we get going. You want to share with the listeners? Sure, absolutely. So, so first, I really just want to stress that absolutely running is a fantastic tool for mental health. Um, I don't want that to get misconstrued at all in my message sure. that it's different than therapy. So we know that all forms of exercise are really great for mental health, for regular mental wellness. Um, it certainly for people who don't exercise at all, exercising, running is a great first step to um, helping mental health. And um, I don't want anybody to think that I am um, telling you not to use running um, to support your mental health. I certainly right. do. Right. And I also go to therapy because right. therapy and running offer me two different ways of supporting my mental health and they do different things. Mm. So running does give me time in my own head to process things, to work through things and think through things. Um, working with a therapist gives me an objective person to reflect back to me, to give me a different perspective. Right. So both are beneficial, um, but they're different than one another. And so I really I think it's not just a matter of, um, well, she's, you know, being picky about words and what does it matter if we say running is therapy. Right. Um, and it really matters because there are for many people um running is not sufficient to address their mental illness or to take care of their mental health. So running is a piece of the puzzle and also they might need medication and also they might need therapy. Um, they might need other forms of support. And when we talk about running in this way, we kind of minimize the importance of therapy um, in a way that might create a stigma that might keep somebody from going or might keep people thinking, well, I don't need to go to therapy because I run um, and I'm taking care of mental health because I run. And I think that um, that's really dangerous. Right. And it's great that you're doing things to support your mental health. And if you're still struggling, then let's also get extra support. And then the other factor is that sometimes when we are super competitive, maybe if we're engaged in disordered eating, maybe if running is the only thing keeping us happy, then mm -hmm. running itself is problematic and actually right. impacting the mental illness. So we have these two parts of it. One, we need to make sure we're, we're treating all of ourselves. And two, sometimes actually running isn't helping mental health. Yeah. And I think I see a lot of, of the last component that you talk about that that so often um, running definitely exacerbates something disorder that's probably going on underneath, right? It's somebody who's maybe successfully lost a lot of weight and now thinks that, well, the weight can't stay off, stay off if I don't run half a marathon every day, seven days a week or something like that, right? Absolutely. So. Or, you know, I can only be happy if I get my run in. I'm, and it's the only thing that's going to get us through. And, you know, God forbid we get injured or sick and we can't run. And if that's our only coping skill, now we've yeah. totally, we're, we've got nothing. Right. 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 Um, so how would, how would somebody know 
that yeah. they needed to come see you, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what would be some good indicators for for a listener out there? Right. So I would say, so two different things. So first let's start by saying um, maybe you have a really healthy relationship with running and we're not talking about some of that um, excessive exercise stuff mm-hmm. and you um, use running to support your mental health. Um, and you would say, oh, well, running is my therapy, but also you're really irritable. Um, you have maybe a short fuse and maybe like not so much patience at home like you would like, let's say. Um, Maybe you have um, difficulty sleeping or you're sleeping a lot and not feeling rested. Or so any changes in sleep, any Mm -hmm. changes in weight. Um, uh, If all of a sudden you really aren't looking forward to things that you were looking forward to, it's hard to motivate or you're doing the things and they're not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a sign that, um, you would want to reach out. Um, if you're worried all the time and it's really hard to control that worry, mm-hmm. um, that would be a sign that you could get some extra support. So, you know, I think when we have, when you're feeling any signs of burnout, stress, unhappiness, dissatisfaction, fear and worry that feel like they are detracting from your life and they feel more like they have more control over you than you have control over them. Right. Mm -hmm. Then I think those are signs when you don't feel in control of your feelings. Mm -hmm. And then, so then we take that and we say, well, how do I know if I have disordered a relationship with exercise. I'm doing mm-hmm. it too much. We look at that same thing. Does it have control over you or do you have control over it? So how do, do people you, know? So feeling like I can't relax if I don't exercise. Mm-hmm. I can't have a good day if I don't exercise. I feel guilt and shame about myself if I don't exercise. Exercise should be bringing you joy. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. if it is, if you have a fear around it or a sense of obligation toward it now, mm-hmm. when we're in training, there's some, some of that, right. We do have to sometimes give up some fun things for a race sure. um, or for a big training run, but it's that balance of, am I happy about this? Am I working towards something? Is this in alignment with my values or do I feel um, am I doing this because I feel like I have to, because mm-hmm. I feel, you know, I'm not good enough if I don't do it. I'm, I'm going to gain the weight if I don't do it. So I'm acting from a place of fear, you know? Yeah. Um, so really what are our motivating factors? Am I trying to be better or am I punishing myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of hit on, on one of the things that I really talk a lot about on my podcast, because that was me, um, you know, most of my adult life come, you know, using exercising that way. I was always running away from something, right. Mm-hmm. Always wanting to punish myself for something. So it was burning calories or, you know, so that you knew that you could either eat more because of whatever you had eaten in the past. Right. And I think that drives so many people, unfortunately, um, you know, this scarcity mindset of, you know, what poor body image and self-worth um so that definitely resonates a lot um let me see 
just had a thought, but that just slipped out of my mind when you were talking. That happens. <laughs> it does. It does. That's okay. <laughs> I'm actually pulling up my post just to remind myself some of the things that I wrote because. And I think so often, one of the things also that you mentioned, for instance, in that post also is the whole comparison trap. And that has been something for me also that is a continued work in progress, not, for instance, being so attached to my stats and not being, you know, focused on what other people's stats are comparing my numbers to other people's numbers. And I will say, and, and you can tell me what has also worked for you, but I will say some of the things that have, for instance, worked for me has been switching to 80-20 running, the whole zone two, which I'm sure you probably implement also mm -hmm. maybe, because it's just given a different appreciation for where am I at today and not, you know, it's it's focusing more on how far can I get in this amount of time rather than I got to make it this far in this amount of time, for instance, right? What are some of the maybe micro tools that you help your clients with? And I know you had a really good article that was shared in, was it called the, the trail running magazine that I read? And it was about a, a client who had a big ultra marathon, maybe a hundred mile coming up and she had DNF a couple of times. And so she was, had a lot of negative self-talk around it and you kind of helped her with some great coping skills, but what are some of the micro tools? Yeah. That you kind of help your clients with. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, a couple of things that you were talking about there, one of them being comparison. Mm -hmm. And then the other is like metrics, right? Holding ourselves up to what are the times that I want to hit and um, those really sort of outcome oriented things. And so, you know, what I really like for folks to focus on is process oriented goals. So I'm not necessarily, maybe I have an outcome goal. I want to hit a certain time, let's say, but there's also a lot of stuff in there that's outside of my control, especially as a trail runner. If there are like a million different variables out on the trail, a million things that can go wrong over the course of many, many miles, right? So I might have a goal for a specific time and I'm acknowledging to myself, there's a lot out of my control. So then I pull back and I look at what are the process oriented goals. So the goals that are within my control that if I nail those should give me my outcome oriented goal. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't, well, hey, I can still look back at that process and say, nailed it, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't hit the time, but did I smile at every runner I pass and encourage them? Did mm -hmm. I thank every volunteer? Did mm -hmm. I fuel every 20 minutes starting at 60 minutes like I had planned? Did mm -hmm. I start slow, right? And so I set all these process-oriented goals, which are the things that I can control. And then I focus my intention on those things those things within my control. And I try to focus less on those, those times that at the end of the day, you know, maybe it's too hot today. Maybe I didn't eat enough last right. night. Maybe, yeah. maybe, 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 but Hey, I still controlled what I could control. Yeah. Right. Those are really great because then you're actually also present. It keeps you present in the run, right? Right. Rather than just focus on when you cross the goal line. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. No, those are, those are neat. I like. And then when it comes to comparison, you know, what, first of all, I say, Hey, if you find that comparison is a challenging space for you, really pay attention to where those feelings come up. So do they come up when you're looking on Strava? 
Do they come up when you're on Instagram, right? If there are specific triggering spaces or situations, then how can we limit those? Because we're human and those emotions do come up. And until we feel like we have them managed, then the best thing that we can do is reduce how frequently we're faced with them. So simply curating your Instagram feed to be positive, supportive voices and just staying off Strava. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Just being aware, right? We just need to know like, because everybody's different, right? For some people, Strava feels like this super wonderful, motivating community and they just love to see what everybody's doing and whatever. And then other people really struggle to compare themselves. And so it's about knowing what you are and Mm -hmm. then saying, is this a tool? Or is it harmful for me? And then, and making that conscious choice of how you engage with it. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm, there's probably a little bit of homework for people to actually identify what it is. Cause I could imagine everybody says that they love that, you know, all the loves and likes, but what about when they don't happen as they expect them to happen or whatever has happened in the algorithm that day, right? Does it then negatively impact their self-worth, right? So. And that's directly related to those sort of outcome-oriented goals that you're talking about when our self-esteem is directly related to feel, we have to feel good to have self-esteem. So we have to feel like we're better than other people, or we have to feel like we're, you know, strong or capable or whatever. And so when we hit a plateau or when people don't like our thing, or when we're injured, our self-esteem necessarily takes a hit because we don't feel as good about ourselves because we're not performing as well. So I really encourage the lens of self-compassion instead of self-esteem. So instead of I have to do good to earn my kindness and love and respect, it's I am always worthy of compassion. When I fail, I am worthy of of being kind to myself. When I succeed, I'm worthy of celebrating myself. And it's not only that I get the good stuff when I do well. I love that so much, the self-compassion, but man, it's so hard to truly, truly (laughs) (laughs) yes, it's so hard. Yes. And actually it's such a great segue for another post that really stood out to me that I just wanted to bring up also, because you said that you shared your experience with a disciplined approach of eating less and running more. I don't know if you recall this post, Mm -hmm. but how that approach actually undermined your progress. And you proposed instead a profound question like, I don't know why the message has always been that we need to punish ourselves into greatness, take care of yourself and see what happens instead. And that's, that's become one of my messages also, because I was so afraid of I was just going to end up sitting on the couch eating, you know, bonbons if I didn't, you know, crack the whip and use Mm -hmm. negative self-talk to motivate myself. That's how I kind of succeeded, gotten two master's degrees and different things, right? So, you know, you're scared of stepping outside of that, right? Get it veering off the the railroad tracks when it seems to have worked, but it came with such a cost that you're kind of blind to until you have the courage to really step outside of it. What do you, I guess I'm just curious, when you work with clients, how do you, is that really hard? I'm, I'm assuming with your clients also, that's something that's really hard to, to find the courage probably to, to overcome on a, you know, on a regular basis. 
Yes, I would say, you know, I would love for all of my clients inner voice to be the voice that I (laughs) give them, you know, when I'm pumping them up or just filling them with love and compassion and understanding and all of that good stuff that they deserve to hear. And they're so yes, I find very often folks are resistant. They're even uncomfortable hearing it from somebody else, Mm -hmm. let alone being able to tell themselves those things and and feel it for themselves, right? And self-criticism comes much more naturally to most of us. Now, it's it's a brain protective thing, right? The brain will like wants us to do well. So it's looking for all of the ways that we're not and making sure that we are aware of them so that we can fix ourselves, quote unquote. And it's constantly assessing for threats and assuming that we are kind of like the biggest threat to ourselves. So it's always telling us what to do and how to be better. It's very natural, right? And so, yes, I find that it is not easy for people to believe that they should be and can be kind to themselves. That is a challenge that I'm up against. I also find that the people who tend to be able to hear it the best are the people who have been hurt, who have been burnt out, who have been injured mm, rock and, who bottom have, and all that who have have realized as I did as I explained I mean I had so many stress fractures so many did not start did not finish it you know and there was this I could have believed that I just wasn't meant to run long distances which I had doctors tell me <clears throat> family friends tell me you should just run shorter distances right mm-hmm. But it was yeah, you because- touched on that in your article, right? Because that's that's <laughs> resonating with me right now that you're mentioning it. Real quick, <laughs> just let's recap for the listeners because they haven't heard that part. I'm just going to do a quick recap that Sarah did an article in Trail Runner, I think it's called magazine. And you're talking about your own experience also, right? Of Was that this before you became a running coach? It was, yeah. So before I became a running coach, I I was really doing a lot of the, you know, I was fasting before runs. I was kind of with the mindset of how can I get the most miles out of this little fuel as possible, right? How can I make this gel last as long as possible? And then I was, I had two small kids. I was working 40 hours a week. My husband was traveling a lot. And so I was running hard the three days a week that I ran Mm. and and um, getting injured. I had a stress fracture in the femur that kept me from starting a race. Yeah, a number of of overuse injuries. And then I started training with my coach and started running five days a week, started reducing Mm. stress on each of those individual runs, right? Dispersing the stress, running slower, and then very quickly focusing on fueling for my runs. So you know, right. all of that caretaking my whole self. And quite quickly, I saw significant improvements and, and I haven't been injured since this is 2020. And um, now that model that I was coached under, you know, I now coach with that team and really see what it took getting, you know, really hurt for me to kind of see. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and of course you then become the best coach yourself when you've actually, you've, I mean, you've walked the walk yourself, right. That you're, that you're kind of coaching on or teaching on. Right. Um, Absolutely. 
And I totally get that it's like you were saying when I mentioned self-compassion, like it's lovely and it's hard. And I, right, I get it. And I know it. And I know it sounds, you know, people, we want quick fixes and we want, we want to get fast quickly. We want to lose weight quickly. We want to um, make all these adaptations really quickly. And I was definitely in that boat. And, um, and I know it's sort of boring and I hear myself saying the boring stuff of it takes time. Yeah. And, you know, it's one step at a time and it's sometimes one step forward, two step back, but we get there. And mm-hmm. I believe that very firmly. How, um, how long do people usually work with you? Just out of curiosity. So as a coach, we require one year um, to, okay. to work with us. Um, yeah. And so we, because we believe in the it value of that relationship and it is a right. process. Yeah. Right. Um, and most, I mean, I've been working with my coach for three years, right? And right. she's been working with hers for five. And so we, yeah. um, a lot of clients will, athletes will stay along much past that first year mark. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And actually what we just kind of um, started talking about is a great segue into the next question I had for you, because you mentioned that so many people want a quick solution. I mean, we're kind of all impatient. and. Um, you talk about again in, in one of your other posts also how how a lot of athletes often down prioritize their mental health, right? But they spend maybe 20 hours training, physically training. They invest in a PT and another coach and a dietitian and all the gear, but they completely neglect their mental health, right? Um and I'm curious on, on your take of why you think that is. I mean, I know that. And maybe it's similar to you. I think my reason for thinking why people do it is that they want a prescriptive prescriptive solution. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we've gotten so accustomed to, unfortunately, in society, right? That we, like you're saying, we just want those blueprints or quick fixes that yeah, tell so- us exactly how we get from one point to the next. But that's not how we work, right? Uh, how I get from point A to point B might look very different from somebody else or how you get from one point to another, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's a big piece of it. And I think another big piece is that people don't recognize um, the connection between their mind and their body. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, right, we just have to look at our insurance system, <laughs> which separates those two things somehow. Right. Um, and really our we, we just do, right. We think of, of, um, toughness as being completely a physical thing. When you think of tough, you think of what somebody might look like, right. And we really separate the mind and the body. And so when somebody's thinking, how can I be the strongest runner? They don't think about their mental health or the way that their, even if not their mental health, their mental skills, right. And the way that, uh, their ability to respond to stress or respond to crisis can help them in the middle of a race when they start having challenging thoughts or an obstacle pop up. Yeah, no, I like that so much. So what questions can we ask of each other that can kind of help pivot this conversation around, you know, why people are, you know, forgetting the connection between mind body or their mental health. What do you think? That's a good question. Yeah, no, I don't suppose necessarily you have you have the 
answer because it's probably, you know, I mean, I don't know that there is any answer. I was just kind of curious if you kind of had some thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, you know, so as a coach, for example, um, and something that coaches can do when they're supporting their athletes is asking around these questions. So I, my athletes check in every single day on their mental health, Mm -hmm. on um, how they're doing on a scale of one to five, as well as their sleep and their fatigue. Right. And so when we as coaches are talking to athletes, are we asking about their stress level? Are we noticed because the body does not just experience the stress from the exercise we're doing. We have all of our life stressors too. Mm -hmm. And if training is not adapting to those life stressors, we're going to just keep adding the stress, even when stress coming from life, right? Right. We're going to have some potential problems. So asking those questions and encouraging people when they print out, they say, you know, I'm going to download this 16 week plan. Great. What are you going to do when you feel sick? What are you going to do when work stress really adds up? How are you going to adapt the plan and making that part of a conversation that so people are thinking of it ahead of time? Because I can't tell you how often people will download that 16 week plan and then say, well, I have to run this tomorrow because it's on my plan. And ignore the realities of everything going around. So things like that, um, allowing, um, you know, like rest days being cool, Mm -hmm. (laughs) rest days, you know, flexing your rest day and showing how much you're not running today, making those sorts of mental health priorities, part of our running culture, just as much as we make no pain, no gain. I love that. And I mean, even like flex your rest day. Yes. That's that's a good way of saying it. That's so true because you're, I mean, you're right. I'm, I have a Facebook running community and, and that's true. I guess what we focus on a lot of time when we say accountability is accountability about the runs. What about the accountability on rest days or like you're saying, how did you take care of yourself today outside of running? Even that question, what does your self-care look like if you can't run? If you, if running went away tomorrow, how would you support your own mental health? And we really have um, a number of domains of mental health or of like self-care. So, you you know, we have our physical self-care, which running helps. Um, Our emotional self-care running can help. Social self-care, if you're running with folks, running can help. But things like spiritual self-care or psychological self-care where we're learning and um, challenging ourselves to um, you know, things like reading new things or um, thinking about philosophical concepts. Um, they're just all parts of ourselves and nothing, no person or no single thing um, should be like all that we rely on to take care of those parts of ourselves. Right. And so running should never be it for anybody. Um, It can be big and important and there are other things too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other things. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That was really, really neat. So if people want to find you, where are they going to find you, Sarah? Yeah. So like you mentioned, the trail therapist is my handle on on Instagram and the trail therapist.com is my website and the trail therapist.teachable.com. You can find workbooks that I have on overcoming fears and dealing with negative self-talk. So like race prep workbooks and other courses that I have there. So very cool. Okay. I will make sure to link everything in the show notes. So I'm super excited to have had you on. This is a great conversation. So I really appreciate it, Sarah. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So if running is our practice ground and we can turn every experience into fuel, then we can transfer it to the rest of our life and positively impact our whole world. Just one run at a time.